Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. God gives you strength and tarries in His coming. Will you be still be living for Him 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now? What about if God gives you children? Will that be their testimony? Grandchildren. Like Paul, I, I strongly desire to be able to say at the end of my life, and if, if I know when the end is coming, if God lets me live a life and I know that the end is near, I, I may die suddenly. I don't know how that will happen. But if I'm able to, I long to be able to say I've fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. But one of my greatest passions is not just that I would finish my course for God, my course, but that my children would choose to know him and to love him and to live for him. I was just texting with my brother-in-law who's a pastor in Arizona this week and I was talking about the fact that he has four children and not five children now, they just had their fifth and we have five children and my sister and my wife's sister has four children, there are 14 children and, and I was talking about the fact that very likely we will uh, probably in our family somewhere along the line you get that many children face some heartache somewhere whether it's an unexpected sickness or illness or an accident or maybe a, one of their children walks through a valley or who knows. I have no idea what the story that will be written of our, our, in our immediate family and, and our extended family and those that we love. But my passion is not just that I would finish my course, but that my children would choose to know God, to love God, and to live for Him for a lifetime. But if I can be honest with you, it goes even beyond that for me. My prayer is that if God would bring a mate into any of my children's, our children's lives and bless them with, with children, that they would train up their children to know God and to love God and to live for God. And I desire to see the same for your children and the kids in our children's ministry and our, those that ride our buses and our youth group. It's one reason I've gone to teen camp every year that I've been here. And I've gone to youth conference with the teens every year that I've been here. And I, I've coached the, the flag football team in the school and I've coached the basketball team in the school. And, and one reason that I've done some of those things and I'm not the youth pastor and I'm not overriding Ryan and he knows when we're on those events, he, he runs those things. But I want them to know they have a pastor that's praying for them and is pulling for for them and is preaching to them and is trying to encourage them. I want to see another generation rise up to know God, to love God, and to live for God. I desire to see a generational Christianity in my biological family and in my spiritual family. A hundred years from now, it's my prayer that liberty will still be, if God tarries in his coming, that liberty will still be a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. And all of those thoughts I just gave you are the, uh, are the, is the introduction to this series back on March 1st, I think. I gave those exact thoughts on week number one of this series, Second Generation Christianity. I didn't realize then, March 1st, that we wouldn't be back into uh, this series until almost July. I thought 
um, that we had preached two of the messages. It's a four-week series. I thought we'd be done by the end of March. And then when we announced that we were closing down church, uh, I'm definitely not a fortune teller or a, or, a, or a prophet because I thought we'd be closed for two or three or four weeks at the most. I thought we were just flattening the curve. Dumb me believed them when, I, when they said 15 days to flatten the curve. And, uh, and so I thought we'd be back on this series a lot earlier. But here we find ourselves the last Sunday of June in week number three. And, and we're going to pick it up. And we're in Deuteronomy chapter number six, just by way of reminder to, to give us a little bit of introduction. The word Deuteronomy, that, that word of that, the, the title of that book, it comes from two words. Deuteros, meaning second, and nomos, meaning law. Deuteronomy is the second law. The first law came in the book of Exodus. Moses went up on Mount Sinai and, and God gave him the law, the, the Ten Commandments. We had the law there. Of course, there was, the, there, there was the Old Testament law that grew and they had dietary law and all of those things. But that law came to Moses for the children of Israel. And God said, here, these Ten Commandments, these Ten Rules can govern your nation, can govern these people. And, and if you'll do these things, your nation will be fine. If you'll live according to these, of course, we understand the Bible tells us that, that they rebelled and, and they didn't do all of those things and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Because of a lack of faith, that generation and, 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 and those, those that had been given the law, they did not enter into the promised land. They did not enter into Canaan. And so God, God said, you have to wander around the wilderness for 40 years. An entire generation or two was lost because of their lack of faith. Now, when we come to Deuteronomy, when you're reading the book of Deuteronomy, what we're having here, it's Moses giving the law to another generation. And I told you in the, in the opening week that Deuteronomy is written to the children of Israel. It's not written to the New Testament church. These are things that God was speaking to Israel. But I do believe there are some parallels, and we understand the nature of God and the way that he dealt with his children, and some principles. The Bible tells us that all of these things were written for our learning. They were written for our edification. And so while the, this law and these things, he was directly, Moses, and what we're going to read today, was directly speaking to the children of Israel, getting ready to enter the promised land, I do believe he was talking to a new generation. I do believe there's some applications and some principles and some truths that we can learn as we, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want Liberty Baptist Church to die with my generation. I want this church to reach many more generations. There are some things we can understand about second generation Christianity. Look at chapter 6, verse number 1, if you will. Notice what Moses says. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes, the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it. By the way, God's word is not just for us to know, it's for us to do. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded thee. Notice this, what he tells them, thou and thy, what church? And thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged. What did he say? Moses talking to a new generation, those that were 20 and below through the wilderness. Now they're 60 and below as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Some generation that all they had known was the wilderness. They were born in the, at, at wilderness hospital and they were raised at wilderness nursery and that's all they had known. They had gone to wilderness elementary. They, they graduated from wilderness high and, and Moses is talking to this group here and he's saying, I'm giving you the law that your dad and your mom and your grandpa and your grandma got, but they didn't live. And I'm giving it to you, and God has a plan for you, and I want you to live this, but I don't just want you to live it. I want you to pass it to your sons 
and your son's sons. What is Moses saying? He's saying God wants your faith to be a generational faith. God does not want your faith to stop with you. And I gave us two messages. You can go back online and listen to the first two messages. They're on our podcast or on our archive on our website. But the first message was the word, and every one of these messages is one word, a one-word command, if you will, for second-generation Christianity. Those, I'm I'm a first-generation Christian. I was not born in church. I was not born in a Christian family. I was I was born out of wedlock. I was born um, to a God who is now a godly, sweet Christian lady. But at the time, she was a 22-year-old uh, girl who had left home in Florida at the age of 18 and and traveled out all by herself to, to California, about 3,000 miles away, and had met a military man that was from North Carolina. He was stationed at Moffett Air Airfield, Moffett Air Force Base there in Mountain View, California. And uh, he was 20, I guess when they met, probably 19 or 20, and she was 20 or 21, and, uh, and, and they were not living Christian lifestyles, and I was conceived, and I was born out of wedlock. My dad never lived a day in my home, and at the age of nine, I mentioned it this morning, my mom's coworker invited us to a Bible-preaching church, and I heard the gospel preached for the first time, a soul-conscious church, and I'm thankful for it, and to the church that the Baltazars are visiting from our home church in Northern California, and, 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 and I was reached for Christ there, but I'm a first-generation Christian. So I have, I, I have, even though I was nine years old, I have some remembrance of before salvation, after salvation. I remember what our home looked like before God came in and started to change some things. I remembered what my mom was like, and it wasn't, she wasn't a terrible mom, but I remember before salvation some of the things that we did and the friends that came over and the activities we were involved in. And, and I remember some of those things. I remember some of the parties that were held at our house. And I, I remember some of that. I was a first-generation Christian. My wife, I don't even know, fifth, sixth, seventh-generation Christians that her dad's a pastor. Her grandpa was a pastor of the same church for 57 years in Illinois. Uh, her, her great-grandfather, she has Christians and pastors all the way through her bloodline. Two very different upbringings. But my passion and my desire, no matter where you find yourself, is that our faith doesn't stop with us, that it passes to another generation. And I gave us, the first message was rejoice. Rejoice. To that second generation Christian, uh, rejoice. And, and for those of us that are trying to raise up another generation, re- rejoice. Point some things out to them. Verse number 10 in chapter 6, by way of review, it says, And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig which thou digst not, and vineyards and all the trees you didn't plant, and when you shall be eaten and be full. He said, you're going to enjoy some things that were not originally promised to you. They were not created for you. They were not planted by you. They were not done by you. And he says, you're getting ready to go in and enjoy all of these things. And the application there was, if you've had the privilege to be brought up in a Christian family, if you've had the privilege to be brought up in, a, in, in the church, you have been given a great head start. You have been given some blessings that you didn't fight for, if you will. We, we enjoy, we're, we're the, I guess, whatever, second, third generation of, of church family in this church history, and we enjoy some buildings that we didn't build, and, and, and some things that we, we enjoy those things, and there's a blessing that comes with being brought up in Christianity, and I challenged them, rejoice. 
Sometimes you look and say, well, I wonder what I'm missing out on and what did I not get to do and why do I have to do that and why do I have to be at church on a Sunday night and why do my parents make me do this and why do I have to go there? And, and we need to, instead of looking at that, look at the blessing. I didn't have to grow up with all of the heartache and, and heartbreak of a life far away from God. I was brought up around the things of God from the earliest of ages. For some of you, that's your testimony. If it is, rejoice. But then the second message was this. The second message was, beware. Notice verse number 12. Verse number 12. When you go into all of these blessings, would you read verse 12 aloud with me? Deuteronomy 6, verse 12. Ready? Begin. Then beware lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Beware. He said, be careful. You're about to go in. And if you're not careful, you're, you're go, beware, and I, I, I wrote, I, I preached a message one time, the danger of God's blessings. Beware lest thou forget the Lord. When it's all you've known, it's easy to, to realize and to forget and not realize who God is. To look and to look out there and want a different life. Beware, if, you're a, if you were brought up in a Christian home, beware lest thou forget the Lord. If this is all you've known, beware that the world doesn't entice you and the things that maybe your mom or your dad or your grandma or your grandpa walked out of when God saved them. It's all, they, they left those things that you look with an, with, a, with an excited eye and with a desirous eye. I wonder what that's like. No, beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. We can forget what it was like to be in Egypt because those that are second generation Christians, typically speaking, were not all the way in Egypt. Now they were lost in, in that picture of the world, but a little bit different. They didn't, they didn't quite experience that same, and I shouldn't say it that way because the grace of God, I mentioned on that, that message, the, the grace of God, it takes just as much grace to keep you from a life of sin as it does to save you from a life of, of heartache and sin. And both of those are amazing testimonies. But we talked about rejoice and beware. There are blessings that come with being a second or third or fourth or fifth generation Christian. The blessing is a little bit of a head start. The danger is it could be a little bit of a weak faith if you don't realize all that God has done. Tonight, I want to bring a message to you, and I hope it'll be a help. I know it's challenged me, and it's my prayer for my own children and for my life. The message I want to bring tonight is the word embrace. Embrace. Would you turn one chapter over to chapter number five? Deuteronomy chapter number five. Embrace, be, rejoice, rejoice of the goodness you've been given and the things you've missed out on, sinfully speaking. Uh, beware that you don't forget who God is and don't realize all that he saved you from because you, you were not there when the 10 plagues of Egypt came. And then embrace. Notice this idea of young people, there has to come a point and a time for those that are the young people that are listening and those of us that work with young people, this is what we are, we are working toward and pushing toward. This is what we want. Young people, that we, we, there must come a place and a time where we embrace, where we accept it for ourselves, 
where the Christian life goes beyond. It's something that our parents do, and it's something that we embrace for ourselves. I want to know him for myself. This is not just a thing that I do. Church is not just a place that I go. Christian songs are not just some of the songs that we sing. We have to get to a place that we embrace it for ourselves. Deuteronomy chapter number five, beginning in verse number one. Then Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak into your ears this day, that ye, notice this, that ye, that ye may learn them and keep and do them. He said, these were given to your parents and they knew them, but you need to listen. You need to learn them. You need to keep them. You need to do them, not just your parents. Notice verse number two, the Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. And this is interesting, the, the wording he uses in verse three, the Lord made not this covenant with our what church? With our fathers, but with us, even us who are all of us here alive this day. Isn't that an interesting verse? He said, God didn't make that covenant with our fathers. He made that covenant with us. This is personal for you. This is not just something for your parents. This is not just something for your grandparents. This is personal for you. This wasn't just good for mama or daddy or your grandparents. God wants you to embrace this. I want to give us a few thoughts, and we're going to turn. Now turn, if you will, and we're going to stay in chapter number 7. We're going to stay in chapter 7. We looked all the way through chapter 6 in our in our first two messages. We're going to continue in chapter number 7. I'm going to give you a few things that I believe as that if we're going to see another generation rise up to love God, God, a few things they're going to have to embrace. Number one, I see that young people are going to have to embrace a personal faith, a personal faith. Notice Moses talking in chapter seven. It says in chapter number seven, uh, chapter seven, verse number one, would you look there with me? Chapter seven, verse one, when the Lord, what's the fourth word? When the Lord, what church? When the Lord, what? Thy. When the Lord, that personal pronoun, when the Lord thy God shall bring who? Thee into the land, whither who? Thou goest to possess it. I circled in the first eight verses, I believe, all the times that it says thy or thou or thee or you or ye, 27 times in the first eight verses. He's getting another generation ready to fulfill God's plan for their life. Uh, and, and, God, and 27 times he says thy and thou and you and ye. He doesn't say your parents. He says you, the Lord, thy God. Hey guys, if you're going to live for God for a lifetime Israelites, if you're going to fulfill God's plan for your life, if you're going to please him with your life, this faith has to become personal. It can't just be, I've heard people say before, you know, ride on my coattails and, and if you don't quite have all of your faith and all of your conviction, ride on my coattails till you get your own. And I understand the sentiment, but that's a really dangerous thing to say. And I get it, follow me as I follow Christ. We have spiritual examples and leaders we can look to when we're weak in the faith. I think I understand the sentiment, but you should not be riding on other people's coattails for your entire life. God wants you to develop your own faith in Jesus Christ. Young people, do you know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? Not just that you know the Bible stories, not just you maybe kind of prayed a prayer when you were three years old and your parents tell you, oh, remember that time you put your faith in Jesus? And I, I'm not trying to get anybody to doubt their salvation. Uh, one of our children got saved at a very early, all of our children have been saved pretty early. Uh, my, my wife got saved at the age of four and never doubted it again. 
I'm not, I'm not trying to get anyone to doubt that, but is there, is that faith real? I talked to a sweet, sweet uh, young lady that grew up in a wonderful home, in a wonderful church, talked to her today, and recently she said she's been really for a couple of years struggling with this in her heart, and, and one of the sweetest girls you'd ever meet, and she said, she said recently, I got this whole thing settled, I got saved, I know for sure he is my Savior. I was struggling with that in my life. I was struggling to know, and, and he just wasn't real to me, and if you had seen her life, you wouldn't have thought that, but people would ask me, uh, uh, when, was your, when were you saved? And I always get nervous about that. And she grew up in church her whole life. And there, I, I love the fact that what she said with tears in her voice as I talked with her today, she said, it's real to me. I got the, what is she saying? It's a personal faith. The Lord thy God. Young people, is he your God? Is he your Savior? Or when you turn 18, you're done with all of this because this is something your parents do. This is something you're forced to do. The Lord thy God, a personal faith. We raise our kids in a culture of Christianity, but the danger is they never embrace it for themselves. We have cultural Christians, but not committed Christians. And because it is not personal, they have no problem walking away from it. Because we have a relationship with God and with Jesus as Savior, but they never develop that while they're in our homes and in our churches and in our youth groups and in, 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 our, in, in, our, in our Sunday school classes. They never develop because there's no relationship there. As soon as they have a chance to to go pursue another relationship. They do. They walk quickly away from that because there was never a time it became their God, the Lord, thy God, that, that personal pronoun. One reason we see such sad statistics of retention of Christian teens after high school or college graduation. I've told Pastor Ryan and uh, Brother Ryan, we've talked about this with our youth group. I don't want our youth group to be a holding tank with pizza where we're just for four years trying to entertain these teenagers while their parents are in classes learning the Bible. No, I want them and he's been going for a couple of years verse by verse through Genesis and at other times he teaches other things and I want when they gather for there to be teaching and preaching and in our school, Christian school I don't just want it to be Christian on the name only we have Bible class every day and we have chapel every week and why I, I hope and I know that all of them aren't going to get it and all of them aren't going to embrace it but my prayer is that they will at the age of 8 and 9 and 10 and 12 and 14 and 16 and 18 embrace a personal faith for themselves in the book of Judges, it only took one generation to go from a theocracy to heathenism. Teens, this week at camp, you have an opportunity to take a step forward in your personal faith. Don't squander it. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, he's telling them, hey guys, if this thing's going to work, God's word has to be real to you. God's law has to be real to you. God has to be real to you. A personal faith. Number two, we see in verse number two, uh, if, if, you, if, you, if you're going to live a lifetime, you're going to have to see some personal victory. Chapter seven, verse number two, notice what he says. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor shall mercy unto them. What does he say? You're going to go and the battles that your parents, some of them, maybe they did fight and others they were supposed to fight. You're going to go and God is going to give you the victory. And young people and parents and, and those that work with young people, our, our children, if we're going to see another generation rise up, they're going to have to see some personal victory in their lives. Here's an interesting thought. This, this sounds very simple, but did you realize there's no such thing as victory if there is no battle? 
And here's what we do, because I guess our love for our children, we try to take away every battle, every obstacle, every difficulty, and we never give them a chance to see God work in their own lives through a difficulty. Now, I'm not saying we ought to neglect our kids and just kick them to the wolves and you're 11 years old, go, go make a name for yourself, you know, go, go live your life. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying, and, and we've, we've, I've heard of, and you've probably heard of the helicopter parent. I know when our kids were little, we would go to the mall in the play area back before social distancing, and, and the kids would slobber all over each other. And, and we would be there, and there would be the, from the very early, when Ashton was 18 months, and we would go to Valley Fair Mall up in, in Santa Clara, California, and we'd be sitting there, and I, it would always make me laugh. Ashton would be up there, and, you know, she would fall and get hurt, and she would sometimes push a kid and, and hurt them and punch them in the face and whatever. And, and you would find in these little play areas with just the, and it's the, the parent that's following everywhere and kind of moving, and it's that helicopter parent. And then I've heard it said the bulldozer parent, the one that goes before their child and just knocks every obstacle out in front of them. Our, our kids, and I've preached a message before, one of the best things that can happen in our children's lives is trials. Now, I hate it when my kids go through trials, but it's one of the greatest things that can happen is to have some interpersonal conflict, to have some struggles, to have a friend that mistreats them or that they mistreat, to have to deal through those things without the parents coming to the rescue, without to have to get a bad grade and a teacher mistreat them. And I'm not talking about any kind of physical or, or any other type of abuse, but to have a teacher that treats them unfairly. Guess what? When, when, a, when a, a teacher, I, I can't think in the whatever, however many years it's been that our, uh, if you combine our kids it's probably 25 30 school years combined I, I don't know and maybe we have I can't think of one time we've marched into a teacher's room or or I've been here for five years I can't think of one time I've demanded a meeting with the principal and our our kids mess up just like your kids do they get in trouble I've got I've gotten kids that have gotten zeros because the, they didn't follow the rules and they 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 copied too much off the internet on their report or whatever all of the stuff all the same stuff that happens to your kids happens to our kids there's no there's no perfection happening in the in the pastor's household but it's good for them to deal with those things and you know what my kids know they can't come and turn me against their teacher or against their parent I'm not saying again if there was something where there was an abusive situation I would deal with that very quickly and very strongly in my own kids life I'll protect there but it's good for them to walk through some trials it's good for them to struggle. Why? Because it builds their faith and it builds their dependence upon God. Think about the times when God drew you the closest to him. Often it was some of the most difficult times, the most difficult seasons of life. None of us like to walk through trials, but it's those times when he hath tried me, he said, he, I shall come forth as gold. There is no coming forth as gold if there is no trial. And sometimes we try to eliminate every trial. Then they get out into the real world. And at age 18, 19, 20, 21, they find out maybe we, we protect them till age 30 and they find out there's some real trials in this world and they're not prepared in their faith because they've never seen God work as a young person you need to see young people some of your own prayers answered you need to see God fight some of your own victories continuing on notice what it says so we see you need to embrace God and have a personal faith embrace God and see some personal victory number three some personal holiness Notice what it says at the end of chapter of verse number two, chapter seven, verse two. 
Thou shalt make no covenant with them. He's saying there's some people you should not be getting close relationships with as God's people. Nor show mercy unto them. Notice verse number three. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. There's some people as God's people you shouldn't be marrying. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. Why? For they will turn away thy son from following me that they may serve other gods. You need to be careful who your children are dating he said, if we were to put it in today's vernacular, because if they date a godless person, it's going to turn their heart away from God. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. Verse 5, but thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, burn their graven images with fire. That, that picture there, you're going to go into these lands where there's going to be these temples and these places where they worship false gods. Don't let your kids be around that all the time. Tear those things down. Get rid of those things. Why? So that, that your children are, are, are growing up in an environment that is pleasing to Christ. Verse 6, for thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. And he's talking here to the children of Israel. But as Christians, we are a royal priesthood. We are a chosen people as God has placed his love upon us. And he said to a new generation, as you're going in, you're going to face some temptations and there's going to be some things that would draw your hearts away and would draw your kids' hearts away and you're going to need to deal with them. And as a new generation that's going in, your parents died in the wilderness, you're going to have to make some personal decisions about some things you will do and things you won't do, places you will go, places you won't go, people you will marry, people you will not marry because God, whole, you're a set-apart people. God has redeemed you. He's, he's purified you. You're a peculiar people and he wants you to be zealous unto all good works. Personal holiness. Making personal decisions, young people, not just what your parents tell you, but personal decisions of who you will and won't be with and what you will and won't do, whether or not anyone is watching, what, what sites you will and won't browse. Not just when mom or dad are around and not just when you're on the firewall and not just when those things are there. Often the danger of the second generation is that they, they, they sometimes want to see how far they can go, what boundaries they can push. The first generation often, somebody that's been saved, they know what Egypt is like. They know the bondage that is in Egypt and they remember the 10 plagues and the miracle, the miracle way that God redeemed them out of their bondage. They often, the, the mentality often of a first-generation Christian is, what more can I change in my life to get closer to God? By the way, Christianity, we'll get there in a minute, it's an inside-out thing. Changing external things does not get you closer to God. That should be fruit that comes from the heart. But that's often the mindset of a first-generation Christian. What more can I change in my life to get away from my old sinful lifestyle? And, and those of you, we've talked about this, and Jay, we talked about how you got saved as an adult and, and some of the things that you had to get rid of. And I remember my, my mom, there were some things, some plants that were growing in our house that she had to get rid of. And that was back before those plants were legal. And, and I remember some of the music that was in the car that she got rid of. And it, the idea, oh, I, I shouldn't listen to that because that's filling my mind with godless things. Let me get rid of that music. And I, I shouldn't be drinking that. Let me get that out of my refrigerator. And I shouldn't be smoking that. Let me get that out of my house. And the first generation, it's what more can I do to get away from my old sinful lifestyle? What more can I change in my life? And if we're not careful, the second generation or, or beyond, it's what more can I get away with? Why do I have to do that? Well, what's wrong with that? Instead of what more can I do that's right, what more can I do that's kind of not so wrong? 
And let me ask all of us, by the way, this isn't just a message for teenagers. If it was, I would have saved it for teen camp. I hope the teens are listening, but it's for all of us. How is our personal holiness? That is, that is an inside out thing. I'm not just talking about our external image. I didn't ask, are you wearing the right thing to church? Holiness is an attitude of the heart. How is our personal holiness, our heart attitude toward God and the things of God? How are our thoughts? Do we struggle with lust? And how, how, how's our browsing history that nobody sees? Where's that, that cell phone that we have that nobody else knows about that we're hiding from our spouse? How is our personal holiness, our actions, our relationships, our friends, our entertainment, our music, our behavior, our activity? Parents, I want to stop right here and help all of us. This is something that I've, I've learned through the years and I'm trying to learn even still. But there is a difference between behavior modification and heart transformation. As parents, we should be shooting for the right target. Youth pastor, Brother Ryan, we should be shooting for the right target with the teens. The the goal is not short-term behavior modification. The goal is lifelong uh, heart transformation. You see, when my kids, I have a five-year-old, little Annalise, she's stuck in big church now because since the shutdown, she has graduated kindergarten. Are you having fun in big church, Annalise? What do you think? You ready to go back to kitty church maybe? Thinking about it? Yeah, probably. I can modify her behavior very quickly. Age five, a stern look. You all know the look, right? Did your parents, how many of you, mom or dad, had the look? You, how many of you, you were a mom or dad, you have the look? Your parents, your kids still talk about the look. A quick look, a snap, a stern warning, go to your room. I can modify behavior very quickly at age five. You know what gets tougher and tougher to modify behavior the older they get? And even if you can modify behavior until they leave your home, Once they leave, it all goes out the window if it was only behavior modification. The goal for long-term is heart transformation because the Holy Spirit is going to go with them when I am not there. The Holy Spirit is going to be there when I am not. He's He's going to be in their heart when they're with that person and they're facing that temptation. And parents, we can modify behavior for a short season. Only God can transform a heart for a lifetime. And we must beg God to transform our children. Behavior modification often involves what? What they can or can't do. You can't watch that. You can't go there. You can't wear that. You can listen to that. You can date him. You can't date her. I think we have a slide that talks about this behavior modification versus heart transformation. Behavior modification often deals with the what, what you can or can't do. Heart transformation begins to understand the why. Why do we do what we do? Why don't I in our home, why don't I drink alcohol? Why in in our home, why don't we, certain things we don't watch on television, and if certain scenes come up or certain words are spoken, we turn that show off. I can tell my kids, when you hear that word, turn it off. And that's the what. But there are whys biblically behind all of those things that we do or don't do. Why are there sometimes, and, and my, our daughter has now got her first car, and she's, got, uh, she's graduating from high school next week, and, and she's, she's all getting ready to go to college and working a couple different jobs and all of these things. And, and recently, in the, in the last school year, there was something going on and, and with some kids, not in our school, but from somewhere else that she wanted to get together with. And, and, and she, Dad, can I go? And we said, we're not comfortable with that. No, you're not going to go to that activity. But I can tell her no and modify the behavior. But guess what? And I told my wife, a year from now, she's going to be able to go anywhere she wants to. She can do whatever she wants. I have to explain why. Here's why I don't think that's wise, honey. 
Here's, here's some of the things to be considering there. And, and, and we, why do we live the way that we do? By the way, the answer to that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we live the way that we do. The Bible says the love of Christ constraineth us. And so why don't I do those things? Because I want my life to bring pleasure and honor and glory to him. And so because he was willing to die for me, he loved me so much to redeem me. He bought me back unto himself. You know what? I want to be a chosen vessel for him. God, you love me because you, you love me. I love you because you first loved me. And because you love me, God, I, I don't want to displease you because I love you. I want you to be pleased with my life and I want my heart may the meditations of my heart be acceptable unto you oh god my redeemer i want you to be pleased with my life and when when i'm tempted to go on that site god i, I think that that might bring a dishonor to you and and god that you, you told me that i shouldn't look on a woman to lust and so god would you give me the strength in my flesh i'm not strong enough but would you give me the strength in your spirit to do that which is pleasing i've committed my life unto my wife would you keep me faithful in that relationship and she's committed her life unto me and and we're gonna go there and we are going to go to church on Sunday when I have the opportunity to go there because God, it's your, I want to gather with your people and I want to bring worship to you. When we understand the why, the what's fall into place. But for too long in our churches and in our youth groups and in our homes, we've talked about the what. Don't do that and don't go there and do that and don't listen to that and don't watch that. And I think we maybe had some good motives, but we maybe have missed the generation teaching them the why. God loves you so much, don't destroy your life. He wants to use you and he's got a wonderful plan. Hey, hey children of Israel, he's got the, 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 the land of Canaan before you, but you're going to have to. Don't show mercy to them. You're not going to be able to spend time with those people and don't marry them. It'll destroy your family. It'll turn your heart away from God. There's some what's I don't want you to do, but the why is because I've got a wonderful plan for you. As we grasp the gospel and the love of Christ, here it is, our hearts change and not just our actions. I see Keith and Gloria down here. You have two teenagers. I've got three now, I guess. Pretty tough to change teenagers' actions, and it's impossible for us to change teenagers' hearts. We need him. And I can have some good looking kids for 10 or 12 or 14 years, but if God never gets a hold of their hearts, they, we are not going to see another generation. And we can set up some rules in the Christian school, and I think we should, and that's great. But if they just follow the rules from 8 to 3, but from 3 to 10, they do whatever they want. No, we've got to get, we, we don't get a, need to get a hold of their hearts. We need God to get a hold of their hearts. And one way that happens is when they understand the why. God loves you so much. Don't you want to love him? Don't you want to live for him? Don't you want to please him? The love of Christ constraineth us, not the rules of my parents constrain me. The love of Christ constraineth us, not the rules of the Christian school constrain me. A focus on doing the what produces an outside-in Christianity. I'm going to say that again. A focus on doing the what produces an outside-in Christianity. Can you think of anybody else in Scripture that had an outside-in faith? There was these guys called the Pharisees. They were, Jesus called them, whited sepulchers. Clean on the outside full of dead men's bones on the inside, an empty, dead religion. And too many of our churches are filled with empty, dead religious people. We look good on the outside, but we've never grasped the why. 
So we're trying for short-term behavior modification when God says, I want to make you a new creature. I want, want long-term heart transformation. A focus on doing the what produces an outside-in Christianity. A focus on understanding the why produces an inside-out Christianity. We understand the principles of Scripture that teach us why we do or don't do what we do. The Pharisees understood the what of the law. They completely missed the who and why of the law. Let that one sink in there for a minute. We know how to look, don't we? We know how to talk, don't we? The Pharisees understood the what of the law, and they kept it really good. But they missed the who and the why of the law. By the way, the why of the law was to point them to the who of the law. They completely missed it. For them, it was a religion, not a relationship. It was outside in, not inside out. And I'm, I'm, I'm fearful that in many of our churches and in many of our homes, maybe at times my own home, there, there is too much of that same outside in. And we have the what of the law down. And don't listen to that and don't watch that and don't drink that and don't go there and don't smoke that and do this and go to church and read your Bible and pray. And they're all good things. And we understand the what of the law, but we have missed pointing them to the who of the law and showing them the why of the law is to point you to the who. And it's a relationship with Jesus, not a religion full of rules. It's not a religion of long lists. Oh no, when they ask them, what's the what's the, the most important command? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. The second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two, hang all the law and the prophets. You don't need a list of 600 rules to know how to please God. You need a relationship with one Savior, and I want to please Him every day. And when that gets inside of us, it changes our behavior. I love you so much. When and when I'm tempted to do that, God, give me the strength to walk away. No, because I love you too much. Not because I'm going to get in trouble if I do it. No, because I'm going to break your heart and I will bring consequences to my life. As we seek to help foster a culture of heart transformation, we need to go from the what to the why. For instance, rather than just telling our kids who they can or can't spend time with, we need to teach them, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Not just the what, don't hang out with them, but the why, because your influence, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Rather than just telling them why they can't listen to that secular godless music, we should show them from Scripture the power of influences that come in through our entertainment, the importance of doing all to the glory of God, and the commands to praise God through music. Let me give an illustration that explains this a little bit, the difference between the what and the why. Many decades ago, I don't know when because I wasn't alive, but maybe in the 40s or 50s, maybe some of you could help me, there was really only way, one way to see an inappropriate movie some inappropriate content, and that was to go to the theater. That was where the inappropriate, there was not television, there was not cable, there was not streaming, there was not websites, there was not Netflix. You couldn't find, if you were going to see something inappropriate, you would go to the theater. And it was, it was viewed as a place that was of ill repute often, and there was stuff there that was, and so at that time, because of the why we want to keep our hearts and our minds pure, some well-meaning good Christians instituted a a, 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 a standard, if you will, in their lives of, as Christians, we will not go to a theater. And that was, it was a good standard because if you'd never went to a theater, you were guaranteed you were never going to see a moving picture that was displeasing to Christ because it didn't, it wasn't a VCR, there wasn't a DVD, it didn't exist outside of the theater. And they established that what guideline, and by the way, nothing wrong with that, by instituting that what, they, they were guaranteed to keep that ungodly content out of their lives. 
decades passed, and some Christians kept that what, but maybe didn't always explain the why that it had been established. And technology progressed. Now you could watch the same thing and worse on your VCR. Remember beta? Some of you are old enough to remember the beta, whatever that was, that other version of the VHS. You could purchase filth on a cable channel, and you didn't have to go to the movies to see it. And 30 years ago, over 30 years ago, 1989, I enrolled in the Christian school. I told you I wasn't raised up in a church. And it's not a problem. That school still had that rule. It had been there for decades and still had a rule that if you went to a movie theater, you got expelled. Nothing wrong with that. That what? I remember as an 11-year-old boy going into sixth grade, it was the only question I had for the principal because it was like so foreign to me. Like, what? You can't, my mom took me to Jungle Book. I can't go watch, I can't go watch a Disney movie at the movies. Like, what kind of a weird rule is this? I remember asking the, the principal there, his son is now a pastor in Northern California. I was just on the phone with him this week. We're friends to this day. And I remember asking him in his office, like, what kind of a rule is that? That it made no sense to me because I'd never heard of anything like it. I didn't come from a Christian background and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't understand. And I asked that question and and when I enrolled 30 years ago, you were immediately expelled from the school if you went to a theater to watch a movie. However, the problem was in some instances, in some, some places that maybe had that guideline, a new generation had grown up that didn't understand the why. And so there were some kids, myself included probably at times, that would watch ungodly content in our homes with no repercussions. But if you went to the movies and they found out, you would be expelled. Can I give you a little secret? You promise not to tell anyone. When I was in high school, I came to visit my dad in San Diego, and he took me to see Toy Story, the original one in the movies. They might ask for my diploma back. I didn't have the heart to tell my, my, my non-church-going dad and stepmom that I wasn't allowed to watch Toy Story with them as a 16-year-old boy. So, so I, I broke the rules. And now we have some members from that church. Don't tell anybody, okay? They're going to ask for my diploma back. But, but the, 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 and I remember being scared to death, like looking around, nobody knows me, right? And nobody's here that, but, but here's the thing, here's the, here's the, the illustration. In the illustration, in some ways, the behavior had been modified. We didn't go to the movies, but for some, our hearts had never been transformed. It was a rule we kept because we were told to, but it was not from the heart. And not only that, the reason the rule was initially instituted we were now doing all kinds of things that went against the why of that rule. People watching all kinds of stuff that went against the why of that rule. We didn't understand, and I'm not saying it was, it was probably in my own, my own life's fault. I'm not saying anybody there did wrong in not explaining that to me. They probably did, and I probably didn't listen. But our, but our hearts had not been transformed. No personal conviction drove that behavior. And so when we moved here, and that was not a guideline in our Christian school, when we moved here, that was a new thing. It gave my wife and I an opportunity to sit down with our children and to talk about the what and the why. Why, was, why did that what get instituted 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 70 years ago? Why was that guideline put in place, that institutional guideline there? And it gave us a chance to teach our kids far more important than where you watch a movie is what you watch. And the biblical principle of I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Don't become a Pharisee that doesn't watch anything at the movies, but you watch everything at home and you watch everything on your phone and you watch everything on an iPad, all kinds of displeasing content. Oh no, kids, way more important than where you you watch something is who you're watching it with if you're there for the wrong reason with that person and what you're watching is that content pleasing to God is it edifying to you is it causing you to think on good things and teaching them it gave us a chance to teach them the why not just the what 
And there may be some in this room that you have a personal guideline that I don't have. Some, some Christians I know of don't even have a television in their home. There's nothing. You're not a better Christian if you do or don't have a TV. But if you don't have a TV, teach your kids why you've chosen not to have a TV. Whatever that may be. And that's just a, a silly illustration, but I think it, it shows us. And rather than just guidelines for dress codes, teach our children biblical principles of modesty, of lust, of fleshliness, of purity. Rather than just rules for their cell phones, teach them principles about addictions and about strongholds and about temptation and about idle words and about unfaithfulness in our hearts. Rather than just rules for digital entertainment, teach them and video games. Teach them scripture about redeeming the time, bringing glory to God with our lives and living for eternity rather than just rules of forced tithing when they get their first job teach them what the bible says about financial stewardship and the joy of giving and the blessing of being generous don't just teach the what what am i trying to say let's not just teach the what teach the why and the who that that why leads to why do we do that because the love of christ not the fear of man it's a paradigm shift for some of us some of you are like, yeah, my, my parents raised me exactly that way. I don't know why you're making such a big deal about this. For some of us, that's a paradigm shift in our Christianity. We focus so long on the what, we've lost sight of the who and the why. It's a religion, not a relationship. Teach them the principles that will change their hearts for a lifetime, not just the rules that will change their behaviors for a season. I'm almost done. I spent a really long time on that point. I think it's so vital, though. Number four, we see in verse number seven, a personal relationship. You need to embrace a personal relationship. Notice verse number seven. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You see that in verses seven and eight, you and you and ye and ye and you and you and you, the love, the relationship. What is he trying to tell them? God loves you. Don't waste the love of God. Understand the love. And I've already talked about this a little bit on personal faith, but a personal relationship. Young people, don't wait until you're out of high school to really get into God's word. Don't wait until you're out of high school to learn what it is to pray. Don't wait until you're out of college to learn what it is to serve with gladness. Don't wait until you're older. Well, I'll get serious about my Christian life then. No, God wants you to have a personal relationship now and parents seek to foster that. And yes, we can force them. Did you read your Bible? Go, go read your Bible. But hopefully somewhere along the way, the power of the word of God is Ray saying and Nellie Ann saying that word is alive. Somewhere along the way, that power of the word of God will get into that young heart and they'll have a, a craving and a desire and a hunger for the word. By the way, parents, it's going to be really, really hard for them to have a craving and a desire and a hunger if they don't ever see it in you. They've got to see it in us. A personal relationship, second generation, are you growing in Christ? Are we encouraging and fostering that in our youth group, in our Christian school? Number five, and this is the last one, we see a personal blessing. Look what happens. These other four lead to this, verse 11. Notice, Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes, the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. Wherefore it shall come to pass, if you hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he sware unto thy fathers. And he will love thee and bless thee. 
and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb and the fruit of thy land, thy corn and thy wine, thine oil, thy, the increase of thy kind, the flocks of thy sheep and the land which he swear to thy fathers to give thee. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be male nor female barren among you or among your cattle. And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. And this is not a prosperity gospel. This isn't live for God and nothing bad ever happens. But you know what, what Moses is telling him? He's saying, hey guys, if you will just live for God, love God, have a personal relationship, win some personal victories, have some personal holiness, follow God's word. If you'll do those things, it's the most wonderful life in all the world. You're going to experience a personal blessing. He's, he's, tell, he's saying to them, I'm telling you, don't make the mistakes your daddy's made. You don't want to wander around the wilderness for the next 40 years. You don't want your kids graduating from wilderness high. We want them graduating from Canaan high. We want them over there every day at the lunch line is milk and honey. We want the big grapes over there. We don't want them eating those things they ate in the wilderness. He's saying, if you'll do these things, if you'll embrace God for yourself, and may I say, young people, it's the greatest life in all the world to live for God. Not the easiest life in all the world. Don't, don't, don't listen, don't think, well, that means I'll never have a problem. I'll never have an issue. Oh, no, you'll have problems and you'll have struggles. And there will be sickness at times and there will be hurt and there will be pain and there will be disillusionment and there will be discouragement. But it's the most wonderful life in all the world. Live for God for a lifetime. And if you will, we see what he told the children of Israel. God's got some blessings for you in the land he has prepared for you. Teenagers, if you'll live for God, God has some blessings for you and some spouses he has prepared for you. Well, individually spouse he has prepared for you, only one, but collectively spouses. And for some of you, God has some children prepared for you that are gonna bring great joy to your life. And for some of you, God has a calling that he has prepared for you in a life. And there's gonna be joy in serving Jesus. And, and it's gonna be wonderful for a lifetime. Again, not always easy, not without tears, not without heartache, not without trials, not without valleys. But in all of those, we have a God that carries us through and that wins those victories. And what is he telling this generation? You're getting ready to go back in. Thou, thy, ye, you, this generation, God did didn't just give this promise to your fathers he gave it to you and teach it to your sons and to your son's sons and there needs to be that personal faith and there needs to be some personal victory walk through some valleys and stay close to God the first time something doesn't go your way don't walk away from God and don't walk away from the church and the first time somebody mistreats you don't get bitter and angry at God some personal victory walking through that some personal holiness young people don't just do what you do because you have to do be what you do because you want to please him with all that you say and do. Well, if my parents find out, I'm not going to do that because my parents might find out. No, I'm not going to do that because I love God too much. I'm going to stay in church because I know it's, it would really disappoint my parents and my grandparents, and so I'm going to keep going to church at least once a week. And No, I can't get enough. I want to be around God's people, and I want to be around his word, and I want to live a lifetime, and I want my children to know the God that I knew and the God that my daddy knew and the God that my grandpa knew, and I want this generational Christianity. And it's, it's, it has to come with a personal relationship, and if you'll do those things, there is personal blessing. Church family, don't buy into the lie that God only did amazing things in previous generations. He wants to and can and will do great things in and through us if we'll pursue those first four points. We can have that same personal blessing. The key for Christianity to become multi-generational is for every generation to embrace it for themselves. I'll say that one more time, that's the last statement. The key 
to Christianity to become multi-generational is for every generation to embrace it for themselves. You know why large percentages of American Christian teenagers walk away from church after high school or college graduation? They never embraced it for themselves. It was something they had to do, not someone they wanted to serve. This Christian life is not something, young people, listen to me. It is not something you have to do. It's someone we get to serve. It's someone we get to love. It's someone that loved us so much that he died for us that we want to all just give whatever filthy rags we have back to him. God wants to raise up another generation. Will you embrace the faith of your spiritual fathers? And maybe in some of us, like them, you need to correct the decisions of some of our spiritual fathers. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.